Everything Comes From Something is an unoriginal podcast about unoriginality because everything truly does come from something. I'm one of your hosts, Isaac Ransom. I'm Cameron Tuttle. And we are so glad that you are here joining us, listening to the show. If you'd like to support us, subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and share the show with your friends and family. If you have a couple bucks to throw our way, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ecfspodcast. And with no further ado, welcome to the show. Why did you have to make me sad, Isaac? Sad about how I'll never get to see Led Zeppelin live in concert. Because I know it's your favorite band. I know, but like, think about this. The possibility is there, right? To see Zeppelin? Three of them are still alive. Who's missing? Um, John Bonham. Who is that? The drummer. Oh, wow. They could probably... But but, but they they said they'll they'll never get back together as long as they live. Is it? Did they have tension between their band? Sort of, sort of. It was mostly like money things, but um, they broke up when John Bonham died, and then um, they only had one concert since then. They've only had one concert since then together, and it's with it was with John Bonham's son in two thousand nine. Do you think they'll ever do a show again? I don't think so. That's too they, bad. They. Passed it up on their, I think it was like their fiftieth anniversary, uh, and that's when I was, I was, I was like, I bet they're gonna announce something. I bet they're gonna announce right, something. Right, but nope. So it's too bad for you, Cameron. So now that's you, what I'm saying. You can forever like, hear some more Led Zeppelin tribute bands playing live. Oh, I'll never go to one of those. Isn't that your favorite? When you go to some outdoor festival. <clears throat> not music festival, let's say it's some, uh, you know, business event or you're walking in a downtown of a little ritzy town place and there's music in the park and suddenly the band's there, they just start playing some Zeppelin song and you're like, ugh. Yeah, and you're like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Covers are hard, man. This is the thing yeah. I, I've been learning about. I mean, when you do a cover you fall into one of the most dangerous categories, which is the people who know the song. Um, well, first of all, you need to pick a song that people do know. Mm. Otherwise, what's the point of doing a cover? And if you pick a song that people don't know, then you better make it enticing or interesting enough yeah. so that people listen, because if they don't know it, then what made the song so good in the to first place? To be honest, place? I actually think that's the that's kind of the best way to do covers, is to do songs that either are outside of your genre like say you're a band that does mostly like rock if you do like a uh like a jazz hip-hop. cover or hip-hop oh, cover yeah. or something like that yeah um like i think that's cool that's that's like the kind of genre bending ones or ones that are totally like obscure but you want to bring like some attention to you know yeah. i think that's i think that's the best if way you give covers. it yeah if you give it some background i love genre merging so a lot of people know Post Malone. He's a rapper, I guess, R&B rap singer kind of yeah. guy right now. But he's also a good guitarist, and he hangs out with a bunch of metalheads. I've seen a bunch of videos of him hanging out with Jared Dines on YouTube. Really? Which is so weird, <laughs> Yeah. right? But um, I know that he... I think he's done covers of songs that aren't rap because he comes from sort of a more rock background. Yeah. And, and that sort of stuff strikes 
a good chord with an audience because you make it your own, right? Mm. I think that's the best way to do covers. Strikes a good chord. Yeah. Wow. What, what's nice? Where I think good covers, <laughs> where I think covers really, really fail, is, and this is the dangerous thing. If you're playing a song that's really well known, you can butcher that quickly. Totally. Pe- people will say, "Wow, this person is not doing the song justice." I think the safest cover for any popular song is acoustic. And you see that all the time. I mean, I know Jules, she does acoustic covers of popular songs and she just makes them her little like heart string pulling love songs. And then she just kind of does it in her own flow. Yeah. It's not offensive. It's not painful to listen to. And it's done as a cover. But I know a lot of bands that are like, we are going to cover, you know, um, a whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and the other thing that you have to do is make it, Again, I think you were saying this. You have to make it transformative. You have to like actually, if you are unique and known for something, like if your band is known for something or you have a particular style, like that lends itself to covers because because you can like make a song either better or more interesting or like like you think about the band Cake, you know Cake. Yeah. Um, they on their first album they had like two covers, maybe three covers, um, and what was interesting in it. it uh, those were like famous old songs, but he has this way of like talk singing. And so like, it was just, it's just an interesting thing to listen to that, like an interesting spin on this, on this song, because that's, that's kind of the way that that's, that's the style. I Um, have put down on my life goals that I'm going to record a record someday. Just a full-length album. I don't know how. That is one of the scariest things in the world for me. Mm. It doesn't have to be in a real studio. It can be in my my bedroom. Yeah. But I want it to be good enough so that I put it out somewhere yeah. on a platform. It's something I want to do really badly. And if it ever takes off, if I ever do anything good with music, I would love to do an album that said the songs that made me do what I want to do or something like mm. that. Mm. And just recreate songs that I think are awesome. Now, I listen to a ton of horrible punk music right and i think that the melodies and the foundations of those songs have something to them but they just were put together by people that you know they didn't have the time or the effort or the equipment to make it sound good right you i mean cameron you respect green day right no (laughs) are you serious uh i respect what they well i don't know i don't even know if that is true i was gonna say i respect what they did for for music, but then at the same time, I kind of don't because I don't like the way that rock went after Green Day. So okay, well here's a good example. You like Biggie Smalls, right? Yeah, I love Biggie. There's this great song by him called "Juicy," right? Yeah, yeah. that song is a great song. I don't think anyone can dispute that. Yeah, but even the remastered versions of that song sound like crap. Yeah, well that's because they literally recorded it in a closet. Right. Yeah. So, like, if you were going to make a song that was a tribute to that song, you would want to produce it with the highest end stuff and almost reimagine it. Do you know what I mean? Maybe. You would lose its charm. Like, you're not Biggie Smalls, yeah. you know? Yeah. But you need to know that. And, like, I think doing a cover with that <laughs> and sort of... And if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, you're listening to Everything Comes From Something. Episode 63, we are talking about... Concerts. Is it 63 or 64? It's 63, bro. You said Dang. 63 last episode and it was 62. And I posted it 
anyways, not editing that out because I wanted to roast you this episode. Mm. So if you are only, I mean, if you're blind and you can't read <laughs> and you've heard that it's episode 63 uh, two times in a row, I apologize. You can blame Cameron. Uh, how did I do that? This is you picking on disabled people, Cameron. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was you. You were picking on disabled I was, people. I, that was a PSA for disabled people. Please, if you're blind and can't read, or can't read, maybe let's distinguish those two. <laughs> well, that would be me. Um, I have my vision and I can't even read. Then then please listen to our podcast. It's very educational. We hope. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode, like I already said, is about concerts. We're going to be talking about the origins of concerts. We're going to be talking about concerts we've been to. Isaac's been mm. to none of them. Cameron's been to a lot of them. Not a lot. I wouldn't say a lot. You've been to a lot. I've definitely... What I'd like to go into this later, maybe. Yeah. But... I want to know your bucket list, your for, concert for bucket concert. list. Oh, yeah. I think I can. It's probably just the artists I enjoy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I know. But like, but I think there are some for me that, that are like, yeah, I would totally go to this if it, um, you know, if it came to me, but I wouldn't like go out of my way. I want to know the ones that you would like. I have to see them before they break up or I die. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Um, and then, yeah, we're going to be talking about the largest attended concerts ever. This episode is going to be probably straight to the point. Um, but you know, Cameron and I, we never, we never seem to we actually stay on dally. topic. <laughs> what are you talking about? We constantly dilly dally. Before we get to that, if you are a Patreon of the show, you have the opportunity to submit your questions to be read on air and answer this week. Sides. From Patreon submitted, hey Isaac and Cameron, I have a few questions for your next episode so I can be your favorite person. Thank goodness we're done talking about Tim Smith. That hope I know, right? I don't want to talk about him anymore. Speak. I actually went to a concert with him recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he took you to a concert. I know, I know. I had to drive and pay forty dollars for parking. Do you think he's going to be upset that we're not talking about this while he's on the show? What do you mean? Because he's always been like, oh, well, let's do one about concerts. <laughs> Oh, that's so true. This one's for you, Tim. Yeah. We're pouring one out for you. Um, <laughs> I just pour out my coffee. This is Side's question. He says, since everything comes from something, what does your podcast come from? Mm. Cameron, what, it comes from our mouth, I think. I think it comes from our brains, first of all. But sometimes it doesn't. But. The, the question continues. He says, do you, <laughs> do you listen to any podcast slash watch any YouTube shows regularly? Are there any shows that you'd like to emulate uh, either in content or in overall feel? So I think what he's getting at is what shows sort of inspire us? What do we watch mm, currently? Mm. Uh, what drove us to make this podcast? Yes. I think we kind of get this question or we dance around this question a lot often, but we never shout out particular content yeah. that we watched. Um, to be honest, I don't feel like our show is trying to like emulate any uh, any particular show. I think it's um, I think it more comes from from our own minds and our own friendship than than any other show particularly. You know what I mean? Um, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts and watch a lot of shows regularly. So. We can go into that. Right. I think for Cameron and I, when we were creating this podcast, one of the big things for us was making sure that the originality in it was the host. Because yeah, yeah. from the content that Cameron and I both have watched and viewed, um, it, it, it starts to stand out that the things you enjoy the most about those shows are 
the hosts themselves. Yeah. Or the yeah. people that are talking. The, those are the people that make it exciting. The content that's in the background is just a backdrop to connect with these people, right? And even if it is um, like interesting content, it's not that interesting if the hosts aren't aren't that interesting. You know, I've listened to some some talk shows where the hosts have been completely flat and dry, and I just can't take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, not to say that there's anything against those. I think it it, it depends, right? It mm. depends what the show's about. I know there's a show called "And the Writer Is" with Ross Goland. I think is the name of it, and he's a pretty flat interviewer mm. um, because. He wants people to basically come out and express themselves in their songwriting. Yeah. And so he lets the the person who's being interviewed basically be the light of the show. And and I think that's probably well thought out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but as far as content that we originally watched, I grew up really loving video games. Mm -hmm. And IGN was a website that I went to often. And what introduced me to podcasting was long form discussions on Podcast Beyond. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we, I think, you know, Cameron and I connected that, we connected our friendship with that, like through junior high and high school, we were both fans of IGN and, um, the hosts of podcast beyond Colin Moriarty and Greg Miller, they split off from IGN and started their own podcast, uh, company, or it was like a media production yeah. company called kind of funny. And so we followed that for a while and now, uh, Colin and Greg have split, but they're both still making their own separate content or content. And I think just hearing them be inspired to create content, to just, to, to make that podcast, um, separate from a company because they could be themselves more like that was inspiring for Cameron and I. Yeah. And I think that show specifically the dynamic between Colin and Greg like there, there was just like a true friendship that was there. Mm, yeah. Um, and then they split and you know, that's sad and that sucks. And I, I remember when Cameron and I, we talked about that, that day we were like, dude, did you hear? Like they split up, like that's it. Yeah. They broke up. And it was like a real breakup. <laughs> yeah. It was like super hard on us. And, and, but I think like what their show meant to us, like almost sort of inspired us to create our own podcast and, and they yeah. mostly focused on gaming. Um, to be honest, we, we haven't specifically went into one particular genre because we don't know life one particular genre. Yeah. I think, I think that's what it is. Yeah. You know, like if we wanted to do gaming, I play a ton of video games and Cameron, you play a decent amount too, but it's like not enough to make us commentators on video games. Yeah. I, I mean, like your roommate walked in here earlier and I was like, hey, like you're playing that Monster Hunter World game. That came out like a year ago. Mm -hmm. I was like, I never got a chance to play that. And I was like, just there, I'm like, I'm already unqualified <laughs> <laughs> to be like a video game commentator because yeah. these guys probably dump in hours. Like I've just been trying to beat Gears 5, and this is way on a long tangent, but I'm sorry. We're just answering the question. I've been trying to beat Gears 5 for the context of this podcast, right? Because we're going to talk about um, fall releases eventually uh, in terms of gaming. And I am just struggling to even get, like, just hunker down and finish it. I was like, I'm too busy. I can't do this other stuff. And I'm like, and eventually more games are going to come out. I'm going to have to beat. Mm. And so as far as, like, a specific um, content or overall feel, we didn't define that. And that's probably bad on a marketing end. But it's liberating for our own creative side. Yeah, we, en we enjoy doing a lot of different things. Um, and speaking of that, I mean, is there any other 
like content that you that you listen to like weekly like i know i i also have as much as i enjoy um video games and whatnot i i also listen to a lot of podcasts and shows about um politics as well as i listen to um oddly enough like some true crime stuff really um yeah i love i love true crime podcasts weirdly um i think they're they're really interesting um so like i listen to like crime junkies and whatnot um that kind of stuff but yeah i mean my first foray into podcasts actually what was before podcast beyond i listened to a, a podcast called the the game spread debriefings do you know about this no no it was it was a game spy um they don't exist anymore but uh it was a game spy show um yeah, and it was it was wild and um, inappropriate, like most things were in like <laughs> 2010, <laughs> 2011. <laughs> so you know, um, but yeah, that that was kind of my first foray into into podcasting. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think most of the world knows about the Joe Rogan experience. Yes. I think that podcast is solid. I just listened to oh, the Black yeah. Keys on it, and it was really good he's, three and a half hours he's just so gone. good he's so good i i i major props to him to be honest he's he's like um an insane leader in in the podcast ecosystem definitely i'm just kind of looking at the lists of podcasts i follow yeah i like funhouse i watch a lot of funhouse they're mm-hmm. they're another gaming one they have a dude suit podcast i don't think it's actually that good of a podcast but yeah. their videos are, are really well edited and put together yeah um we got to shout out Kid Tested Mother Approved. Ruben's been on the show a few times. He has a really, like, if you're looking for an actual consistent pitch for a show, his whole thing is he reviews a movie with his mom. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. that's a great gag and a great basis for a show. Definitely. So check that one out if you're if you're interested. Um, yeah, I mean, I listen to some political political podcasts, but I like I like to hear a lot of different perspectives on on political subjects. So I'll tune into different, probably left or right leaning yeah. um, commentators just to hear what they think and then kind of piece it together from different other different arguments as well. Do you listen to like Freakonomics or anything like that? No, no, I don't. I probably should. It's, it's hard for me to get into those um, because I have a different, I have, I have a very specific uh, like interpretation of, of economics right um and so it's it's hard to they have they have a, a wide varying degree of views on freakonomics um although i did listen to an npr podcast about recycling that was really good huh it was really good <laughs> i won't spoil it or anything but it's called i, won- I wonder what's gonna happen it's in called that episode. Sh- it's called should we recycle huh yeah should we just throw those Tesla lithium batteries into the sun? Basically, it was it was asking the question of should we throw plastic in the trash? Huh. And the answer was yes. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, um, yeah, it was a really very strange, um, interesting podcast. But yeah, and I think I think um, um, sacred symbols is one that we got to shout out. Right. That's Colin's show when he split from kind of funny. Yeah. Um, really great PlayStation podcast. Definitely. Uh, he does some other shows to varying degrees. He actually does a show that, um, I realized 
was almost what everything comes from something comes like is and it's basically his his fireside chats i don't know if he canceled mm, yeah. it no he's um, still in but he like just brings on random people and talks to them about stuff yeah and i really enjoy that podcast form i don't know if his show is the best version of that i think joe rogan's i mean he brings in people that are important uh, yeah <laughs> i think you can do that with with people who are not as important and i'd love to tap into that but from my experience interviewing people on the show, you really don't know what you're going to get until mm. the show starts rolling. Mm. And so I think that that's pretty tough uh, to decide who and, and what is going to be on that show. Yeah. But I, I hope we answered your question. Uh, side sides of friends of the sh- friends of the show. Actually, I know them in real life. It just says sides on here. So I don't know if you want me to say your your uh, your name, um, but I'm just going to leave it at that for your own privacy. Privacy, yes, that's something that we've been talking about in business ethics. Privacy. I don't know where I land on that. Ain't nothing private about nothing. I guess, yeah. The whole world's spying on you. On my phone, my computer, my 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 Google little button thing, my Google speaker. You know, uh, spying on me. So I get the you know people cover up their cameras on their computers. Yeah. I'm just like, what are you doing in front of your computer? <laughs> That's kind of like my... Well, you know, whatever. But but here's the here's the issue. Everybody freaked out when when Mark Zuckerberg uh, covered his... Ca- you know, there's a picture of uh-huh. him and he covered, his, he covered his camera. But I was also like, yeah, of course people are trying to, to hack Mark Zuckerberg's camera. Of course they are. Are you kidding me? Like... <laughs> I, I had this really... He's Mark Zuckerberg. So I have a uh, encyclopedia open on concerts, the actual topic, which we're getting to right now. Uh, <laughs> but as long as we're on this tangent, there is an ad for Sweetwater, which sells music equipment, which is related to concerts. Of course, I look at music equipment. If you don't know, I am a creative arts director for a church uh, at Community Christian, and that means I'm in charge of the music for one of our campuses. So music, stage design, concert stuff is something that I study a lot and try to learn a lot about. And I would say I'm adequate at understanding that industry. I'm not anywhere close to good at it or... Uh, I, well, basically, you can always learn more. I mean, as a matter of fact, yeah, Cameron, you yeah. were t- when, when we were talking about the biggest concerts, you were talking about that delay effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll get to that in a second. Um, but as long as we're talking about the cameras, there's this ad, and it has four squares, right? And then one of the squares enlarges one of the products, and then it shrinks back down. So it's like, look at this. Mm-hmm. Look at this, right? I was staring at this guitar on there, and then it zoomed into it and was like, look at this. I'm like is my camera tracking my <laughs> eyes on this ad? And then I've been watching it for the last, you know, five minutes. Yeah. It's just on a cycle. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's coming. That's coming. You know it is. Yeah, they can They can know what you're looking at for so long. Yeah. Oh, oof, freaky. Don't that like freaky. that. The eye tracking. Uh, well, you ever see those, like, YouTube videos of people doing the eye yeah, tracking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are funny. <laughs> I like. That's like the most click clickbaity. It's videos. cool. It's cool for um, what's it called? Like esports gaming. Have you mm. seen that? Where yeah. you watch a pro oh, yes, player yes, like yes. see what they're observing on the screen. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that is interesting. The clickbait titles of trying not to look at this girl's <laughs> cleavage with eye tracking. That's obnoxious. Yeah, that is beyond obnoxious. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, when you go to a concert, though, it's not overly obnoxious, depending on how the sound guy mixes. Thank you, Jesus, 
for good sound guys. Mm. Literally, they are so hard to find. Yeah. Um, according to this uh, encyclopedia, what what is this encyclopedia, Cameron? I can't read. Encyclopedia Britannica. Thank you. <laughs> Britannica. Uh, a concert is a social institution for a public performance of music outside of a religious or dramatic context. Now... I had issue with this definition because later on in this encyclopedia, they name a concert that was connected to a religious institution. I think what they mean by this definition is a public performance outside of a Sunday morning church or a chapel, whatever you go like, to. Because that's a specific yeah. area of live performance. Correct. And in, the, in the same way that like a musical is not necessarily a concert. That's, a what, they, that's what they mean with dramatic context. Yeah, exactly. So opera, any sort of play... Something like that. That is not considered a concert. Um, these concerts were developed, uh, sort of, they were birthed to what they are today from the 17th century. Mm. And um, how do I say this? They they were basically originated from an academic perspective. Yeah, yeah. It was saying what like Oxford and Cambridge and whatnot. They were they they were holding these like extracurricular concerts basically where they would explore things that they weren't necessarily teaching in class you were thinking it like uh it's almost like a provocative lecture you would go to mm -hmm. outside yeah. of whatever major you're you're a part of and so like 17th, 18th century many german universities um had like these musical performance centers or theaters areas where you could perform usually for chamber music but music meetings were regularly held like you're saying, Oxford, Cambridge, and they were used to explore different forms of music, uh, stuff that was from the past in the 15th century, um, and, and a bunch of other stuff as well. But this basically provided a space and a venue for music to become and consumed by the masses. Mm, mm. And I, I was just curious looking this up because I was like, when did it really start going, right? Um, you can get into some of the weeds here. The first known public concert that was charged for with an admission fee was in London by violinist John Bannister um, in his home, at his home. And uh, actually only eight years late, or six years later in uh, 1678, the first music subscription service <laughs> broke through. Now we're not talking uh, Spotify or iTunes, but Thomas Britton, a charcoal seller actually established weekly concerts at a loft in Clerkenwell, and he had a subscription rate of ten shillings per year. Very, uh, you know, ten yeah, bucks a that's month. Measly. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, a year, huh? That's a good deal. But who knows what, is, what ten <laughs> shillings meant in back in the day? I don't know. Who knew what Thomas? What Britton even is was a even, shilling? What I mean, he's a charcoal seller. He can't possibly be good at what mandolin no, or I'm whatever. Sure he is. Just because he's a oh. Oh no, that's a Kenyan shilling. Never mind. I don't know what a shilling is. <laughs> I don't know either. It's formerly used in the UK. I bet it's like, I don't know, like, like a, a one millionth of a penny or something like that. So it says that most of these concerts of instrumental or vocal music were frequently held at people's houses of nobility in France in the 17th century. And, and this makes sense. You know, you think about um, entertainers or performers for the upper class. Um, they, they basically sell out houses for people to have a place to perform. But these concert venues were either at schools or in, in homes. 
Cameron, can I tell you a little dream? Yeah, tell me. I like I like music a lot. I'm dreaming a lot. Um, I would love if I was successful at all. We'll see. Um, if I had some property to build a stage in the backyard, mm. like I think that would be That'd so. Be cool fun and then like friends family kids whatever it was like i could just have it set up ready to go for them yeah whenever someone needed to perform i think that'd be cool that would be super fun and i assume all of your you know younglings will uh will be musically inclined or be pushed in the direction of music i'll force them yeah exactly that's what i'm saying you know actually what? music is a very very good thing to learn when you're a kid i yeah because apparently you pick it up way quicker and it expands the mind I just, I wish that my dad would have pushed me to learn more. Yeah. Because I would have been much better. My brother's mostly all self-taught. He's like a prodigy at it. Um, but we never got pushed into piano lessons, which is too bad. Mm. I'm going to let my kid play guitar and piano as soon as possible, I think. And then I also want to have a drum kit available. My dad never let us have drums. <laughs> yeah. But if yeah. I learned young, I probably would be able to do it. Right. Mm, mm. You know, anyways, music continues to expand through a bunch of boring history that no one really cares about. <laughs> um, there's other important things going on at the time. Music is around, though. Right. Music's always been around. Um, we c I wanted to jump over most of this stuff. There's the break of the uh, the 1800s to the 1900s, this um, romantic time period with Beethoven. Um, just glazing over this um there's also a growth of nationalism um and concerts kind of band people together as uh democracy rises up in modern society mm. and by the 20th century in world war ii uh, concert activity was basically greatly stimulated by the radio um now music has a platform to be distributed on a large scale and people can hear songs on the radio. People will start to know what's going on. There's a culture and a scene around music. But this really is blown over the top for concerts when TV comes about. Yeah. In the 20th century, um, popular music, I mean, it's called pop, right? It just takes over, right? You Like you were talking about the Beatles, Cameron. Mm, yeah. Their TV presence... Yeah, I mean, they in in England, they had a massive concert. Well, it was a TV concert in 1963 that was huge, right? L viewed all over England. Um, and then in 1964, they went on. Um, well, what's that TV show? I don't know. People are screaming at their at their at their phones right now. But um, they went. Uh, they came to America, and that was basically the start of their their stardom their international stardom mm. and so like people were fainting there was like it was it was nuts and um and yeah and i think i think with that and then they toured america right so so with that and the concert tours i think people going to a concert was like way more a um an event and something that you would do than like than earlier on in the 50s like you think about Con there were underground concerts. They were like kind of small venue shows, and even you know, even jazz, um, jazz musicians they wouldn't do like concerts. They would do like bars and venues, and like you know, they'd go around and do small things. It would be like a small venue. But the Beatles really, I think, elevated it to like 
oh, this is a this is an event, you know, like everybody's going to go to to the to see the Beatles. You know, the Beatles aren't the first ones to do it. No, no, no. But I think the connection with them and TV. Yeah. Is what sparks something really special. I took a history of rock and roll class. I know the Beatles aren't the ones that, you know, basically started concerts or big events like this. I know Grateful Dead has a bit, uh, an older presence than mm, the Beatles. Yeah, definitely. And they're huge in the concert scene as well. But but were they selling out, like, stadiums, the Grateful Dead? Not really, right? Mm-hmm. Not, before, not before the Beatles were. Let's see. Grateful Dead... Yeah, no, they, they were later. Yeah. It lo- they're on one of the largest single artists attending concerts. On September 3rd, 1977, Grateful Dead held a concert at Raceway Park in Englishtown, and there was 107,000 people there. These are oh paid gosh. attenders. Um, wow. But 1977 is past uh, when the Beatles had hype. But Grateful Dead has been around for a, a while. But yeah, I yeah. Think. Oh, yeah, they're old. They're really old. I remember reading about them before the Beatles, um, but we spent way too much time on the Beatles in that history of rock and roll class for sure. They they just they set the trends for what a lot of rock and roll like looks to today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even though you know the Rolling Stones are very different than the Beatles, but there are foundational elements to that band that take from what the Beatles started. Um, you can find some sort of connection for sure. Yeah. It's interesting though, because you talk about a concert being an event, right? And I'm a musician. So it's like, sorry, that came across. Why did I say? (laughs) I'm a musician. musician. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even that good of a musician. (laughs) Well, you're getting paid for it. My thing is, that's better than most people. Yeah, it's true. Actually, that is true. Um, I think what's what's interesting is that with the jazz scene, you're in a club. There's lots to yeah. do. Yeah. The music is a valuable asset and element to that environment, but it's not the centerpiece. Mm. When you make a concert the centerpiece, the musical performance is a centerpiece, there's something in my brain that is unimpressed. And I, I don't know why. I really don't know why. Hmm. And I think it might be because of where, you know, I grew, I, I'm growing up in a time where festivals and big artist performance is a normal yeah. in our society. And also the ticket prices are astronomical and the costs yeah. of going to these events are crazy, right? Especially for a broke college kid like me. And so when I look at this, it's like, you better put on a show. Like you better put on the best show, right? Yeah. Because playing a song, like playing through an album just as it is, I don't know if it's enough. You know what I mean? I, I don't yeah, know if it's yeah. just enough. Whereas the the band that's playing in a jazz club, there's so much more to distract you. There's so much going on in that club that it's like the music can become the forefront because they don't have to be the forefront. Does that make sense? Yeah. Although I think, I think maybe you just haven't been to the right concerts yet. Like I think, I think you'll go to a concert where you'll you'll like, you'll be absolutely enamored by it. Um, Cause I have. I mean, I've 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 definitely had that experience before. Um, so I would say, I would say don't 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 discount the the experience yet. Like I know you always come back for you're like you're like I don't know that wasn't that good, but 
I think I think you might not have seen seen the right people yet. My list of concerts that I've actually attended is pretty small. Yeah. I, I really have not been to that many. But I just it it feels weird for me to go to a concert and watch these like a, a, a group of people just stand in a row, <laughs> right? With minimal movement and just play the songs the Ho- best they can. Hopefully that's not what they're doing though. <laughs> Actually, some of the best performances I've seen are rap because they're free. Yeah. They're free yeah. to move. They all they have to carry is that microphone. And they can just go crazy, right? And the rest of the band is just trying to amplify that up yeah. and have it be an experience. But like I saw Bon I mean you can say Bon Iver, Bon Iver, whatever. I don't care. First of all, the most white people I've ever seen in my <laughs> life went to that concert. So many hipsters. And it was in San Francisco, so I don't know what I was But how do you like the Chase Center? It's incredible. Cool, it? It's great. Cha- okay, first of all, the Chase Center, if you get to go to a concert there, that is one of the greatest concert venues I've been to. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's absolutely. because it's so clean and safe and nice. I've never been somewhere in the in San Francisco where for, I've been like... For now. For, for now. now. For now, right? <laughs> for for me... The, Hopefully it stays that way, but... I was just like, man, this is gorgeous, and I am not lost. Sure, I paid $40 for parking, but it's it's like a walk, and it's not even a bad walk. Yeah. It was beautiful yeah. out there. And then the Chase Center was it's right, ac- And you could see across the bay. Like, did you go to yeah. around to the backside? Yeah. So pretty. It's like so aw- pretty. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I hope I get to go to another concert here yeah. eventually. Yeah, yeah, Um, And I saw Bon Iver there, and I was blown away by the lights. Yeah. Um, really cool light design. Is it as cool as a laser wall? I don't. No, I, and I'm not sure, right? Like, this is the thing. The live music industry is always changing day by day. And yeah. I am exposed to the equipment and the technology that is being promoted and pushed in this industry because I work for a church in music. And actually, I have a theory we're going to get to later where church music is sort of sharpening the industry in terms of a live performance. Mm. Um, but like when we saw Bon Iver, the lights, they were incredibly well thought out and designed, but they're also limited, right? Because you can only, basically the structure of it was he had these triangular pieces all around the band. So first issue is that the band is trapped in these triangles. <laughs> they are all trapped in triangles. There's mm-hmm. no movement. Yeah. That's the first issue, Right. The second issue is that you have the triangles and then you have tons of lights on the side, on the ground around the stage, and then you have these hanging beams that move, which is gorgeous. I yeah, love the so design cool. of it. Yeah. Really cool. But that's that's what you have. Yeah. That is the setting. Sure. Nothing changes about that setting. It's the hanging beams or the hanging uh, like discs or saucers or whatever. I think the discs and saucers can change from v shapes to lines Mm -hmm. i think so upside down v's or the other things they've done they did really cool stuff with that the coolest part of the concert was they did this thing where this the stage is a square so they shot lights upwards and then it almost looked like they were being abducted by a massive ufo because there were these huge 
beams that went up to the ceiling the yeah. concert and i was like this is awesome like i think that that looked beautiful from a like from a if you know what dmx is and the way they have to program these lights so many man hours oh yeah that. oh yeah absolutely. In, incredible amount of time could you create scenes with a laser wall quicker yes could you have more versatility in the scenes that you create with that yes and it's just like Bon Iver does not need to go out and buy a laser wall for his tour. That's not what his music is about. Mm, mm. But his music is highly accompanied by atmosphere and environment. And so when I went to see him, I actually expected a laser wall. Yeah. Because his new project was all visual. Like it was like a visual experience distorting computers with like mm. his his thing. You right? know, I'll t- when I talk about radio, maybe I'll just throw it in now, but I went yeah. and saw Radiohead. They had an amazing um, visual show as well as um, as well as the the audio of it. But uh, like we were in, they were on the main stage at Outside Lands, so we were like kind of in the middle of of it all. Right. Um, and they they had like they had these two huge um, like big LED panels basically mm-hmm. that they used to to do video and then like other things and then like but they also they also had the lights that were like they they were like pumping with the music and like in such a weird like um almost like dreamy way yeah it, it felt like we, we were on a trip it was like it was like so, so it would like transport you to to like a different world because their music is so like weird and trippy and then the lighting was just so weird and trippy and it was like all encompassing you know too and that and that was that was awesome i'd love to see radio i i think i mean i think it's it's totally up there it should be up there on your on your list there's this cool thing that uh bon iver did at the end where the lights behind them began to uh go across Mm. But they would go across at the same time. You'd get like this revving, spinning, almost interstellar feeling. Yeah. Because then they would start to get faster and faster. And it was like, you're almost like traveling through light. That's one of my favorite designs for, for light stuff. Yeah. Actually, the electronic um, music industry and um, DJs, basically like large DJs, Dead Mouse, uh, Porter Robinson, uh, Maddion, these guys, they, they come to these things. They're basically pressing play. Um, on a track, right? But yeah. the show is the light and the the light and the video. If, have you seen Dead Mouse's Cube V Four? No, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. It is a fully digital. It's a cube that is screens on all ends, and it and the bevel like the bezels of the edges are so small. Like there is no, there is no edges basically. Mm -hmm. And so this cube can basically, it looks like it distorts reality. When you look at it, it will look like a cube at first, but then throughout his show, it will begin to like almost come outside of the, like it, 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 the video that they go with it, it's all an optical illusion. Yeah. So you start losing your mind looking at this thing. (laughs) Like it's crazy. And that sort of stuff where I'm like, this is a this is a show mm. you know what mm. i mean like this is a show yeah. but there's no musical performance mm. right interesting interesting so what i was gonna bring up actually is i've been to shows that were all musical performance no show exactly and 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 the probably the middle ground is is 
is where you should strike it, right? But I've loved, there's two that come to mind, which is Rodrigo y Gabriela, basically two, a, a man and a woman, they only play guitar. They don't like sing or anything, mm -hmm. but they're like flamenco guitarists and they're like insanely talented. Right. They're the best guitar players I've ever seen live. And they, they, yeah, they're nuts, but there's no like show aspect of it. They're basically just on a stage sitting down and they're, they're playing and like, and the music is, is really like the star of the show. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. And then the second was snarky puppy, um, who is a jazz artist who I love, absolutely love. And the show element of it is that they are some of the world's best musicians <laughs> and you get to listen to them. Right. <laughs> you right. know, like that's, that's the show. Um, and they're so tight. They're so on top of everything. Um, Here's my thing with music shows like that. That is excellent in the right space with the right people. Yeah. You know, um, does that capture an audience that is larger than like truly high end music appreciators? Like you listen to Snarky Puppy and you hear the fidelity and the detail of that. Yeah. Right. Whereas someone who, you know, doesn't listen to music, doesn't play music, won't understand that. Do you know what I mean? Yes and no. I mean, I think, no, I think, I think there are, there's degrees of, competence that anyone can can see you know what i mean like they i think snarky puppy and maybe rodrigo y gabriella too are in a realm where anybody can see them and say oh they've mastered their craft right you know right. they've they've absolutely mastered what they're doing and they're so much more talented than than i will ever be that it's like interesting to watch mm. you know what i mean so and i think I think that's different when it comes to someone, you know, who maybe is an, is an excellent musician or an ex excellent performer, but isn't like the top of their, of their craft. You know what I mean? Like, like there's like, I think Metallica is a good example of this where they put on an, an amazing show. Absolutely incredible. Um, but they, they, they don't really, they're not the best metal players. You know what I mean? Like they're not the best. They're not the best musicians. They're known for what they do, right? And 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 so like, since they're not the best, they have to make up for that in in some ways. And I think they do in their shows. I mean, their their live their live show was was absolutely incredible. It was so good. Yeah, I mean, I saw Coldplay live at Levi's. I know I've talked about this before. Le Don't go to Levi's for a concert, first of all. Um, I saw I saw the Rolling Stones at Levi's. I had a miserable time. Um, the concert was not a good experience, but I've never seen a band pour out a performance so... Like, they were really trying. They mm. were really, mm. really trying. Where were you sitting? Far, like, I was in a bad spot. I was, like, up... I was centered yeah. to the stage. I was actually centered, but I was but really like high way up. far and yeah, high up. Yeah, really high up. Well, I mean, yeah, that, obviously, that's going to be a bad experience. You know, I paid $100 for those tickets. Jeez. It's, so, it's throw me away, dude. It's rough. Like, I... <laughs> that's... And that's the other thing. It's, like, you pay so much for the worst seats. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I just... That was the other thing. I had my arms crossed pretty much the whole night. Mm. And Chris Martin is the singer of Coldplay. He was sweat, dripping sweat. Yeah. Like he was running up and down. He was pouring himself out. 
I've never seen an artist like roll around on the stage. Like he was literally on his back. Uh, like, and I was like, this is kind of cool. Mm. Like he's like, f- he's like physically trying to, um, pour himself out to be something like engaging, Yeah, you know? And they had a lot of stuff. I think their music came across almost gimmicky for some people. Mm. Right. And I felt bad because they do have some great songs, but they, they didn't even play some of my favorites, Yeah, which was rough. I was like, come on guys, what are you doing? Playing this new crappy album. Um, um, well, I want you to run down your list of concerts. Um, and then we'll talk about, I, I think, I think there's something interesting you're bringing up as far as the, there's like a, a bell curve, an upside down bell curve of like small venues, huge venues, and then like, like festivals. Right. Um, but you go down, you go down your list. So yeah, I've seen, uh, I have not seen a lot of people. Like, my, my background is a lot of Christian music, so I think the first few concerts I went to were these festivals for Skillet and Red. I saw Red play. That was terrifying. As I was, like, a middle schooler, Red is this, it's a metal, or it's a, like, hard rock band. Yeah. Um, but they're considered Christian. It was kind of, like, as a middle schooler, I was scared that it was demonic, which is actually kind of awesome looking back at it. <laughs> Because they had like flamethrowers, like you felt the heat That's of the awesome. fire. They actually put on a super cool show. That's I remember this That's specifically. Cool. What they did is they were all the whole stage turned into a rust bucket like Mad Max mm. before the Mad Max remake came out. Yeah. And they were all wearing these goggles and the room went pitch black and then a light turned on on a huge power switch like Nazi zombie style. You know, and this guy walks up, he grabs it with like his full hand, pulls it, and the thing explodes. That's awesome. And then all of a sudden, like these flames just come up slowly. I've never seen slow flames burn up like that. And then the band starts playing like super hard rock. And I was like, cool. That sounds awesome. I know a lot of people respect Red, even if you're not a Christian person, because I think they pour themselves out beyond what like their music isn't christian music for christian sake it's yeah. just who they are yeah right and then they make music on top of that um i saw a skillet live eh, whatever um they were fine um i saw this guy named andy minio who's a rapper and then you and i went to that reliant k and switchfoot concert yeah yeah we love reliant k definitely i love reliant k i think they're a great band they're what are they considered like punk alternative their early yeah. music's punk yeah now their music is like indie alternative. And then Switchfoot, I was I was really impressed. He puts on a good show. Yeah, like that was like a... Here's the thing. So Switchfoot, their lead singer's name is John Foreman. I feel bad for the band because it's the John Foreman show. <laughs> he <laughs> is just very... Um, he has a lot of character on stage. He's very into engaging the crowd. He's been doing it a long time. He almost has, I don't, I don't want to say this because I haven't seen Metallica, but I understand that Metallica has a history of owning the stage, right? Mm, yeah. And you can tell that Switchfoot has that same history. They play medium-sized venues. Yeah. And so for them, when they're in a medium-sized venue, because that's where we saw them, they looked like they were at home. There was like, they were just completely relaxed. I yeah. was like, this is weird. And they had bubbles, which was fun. <laughs> I was like, I like bubbles. That was sort of <laughs> And then uh, recently I saw Bethel, which is a Christian, mu- this is music for a church, right? But I was blown away. They they sold out the Warfield, 
which is cool. Wow. Um, and wow. Actually. Yeah. And they had a laser wall. It was the first laser wall I've ever seen. Yeah. It was bigger than the stage. It was behind the stage. It, they, like, teleported you to a new place every single song. Mm. You know, they could change the background. Um, Christian music, they want you to sing with it. There's words on the back screen. So that was all tech-heavy. Um, they just had an excellent show. And, yeah. Yeah, I was I was really blown away. And this is what kind of leads me to my theory, right? Because I'm in the church scene, you know, whether you're religious or not. I have noticed that churches are the biggest financers for the pro audio industry. They, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. <laughs> and it's because churches put on a show every Sunday. So they need the newest and the best. The bigger, like they need it every Sunday morning, yeah. right? I, I play at a really, really small church. It's in the middle of nowhere in Gilroy. Love the people there. Love the campus. I mean, hey, it's great, right? But we're not a mega church, you know, Cameron and I, we we grew up. We went to Venture. That's a mega church, dude. Yeah, that 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 church has the highest end equipment. As a matter of fact, I know the tech head there. His name's Austin Cooper. That guy knows his stuff, and it's just like they redid the room. I don't even. Someone told me the price of it, and it was like my jaw dropped the floor. I was like, they spent how much money on their main auditorium yeah. for a redo? This is insanity. Like. And then there's just tons of these mega churches everywhere. Like I went to, um, what was it, Irvine? There's a church called Mariner's Church. Hmm. They own a property like half the size of Disneyland. First of all, they have a freaking river going through their church. Okay, what? In the and world? when you walk into their their uh, their auditorium, it is half a concert. Like it is half a stadium. Yeah, that's what it is. Like it's legit a stadium, and. Their stage is massive, dude. So there are 1,300 churches in the United States that are considered mega churches. That's a lot of churches. And you think about that, that that means, um, oh man, how much is it? Oh, more than 2,000 members. That's a lot of money. That's a lot That's of a people. a lot of cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I, there, are, there are a lot of issues with mega churches and there's a lot of benefits as well. I mean, from a religious perspective and also... If you're not religious, there are benefits to a big church. You could say net benefits for a community, right? Um, even if you disagree with them or dislike them. But it just fascinates me that the pro audio industry... I mean, it's as simple as like I walk into a, a guitar shop now and the second I say I work for a church, people take me seriously now. And it's not gonna, you're gonna lay down the, it's the, because the I'm company car. No, it's because I'm gonna buy stuff. <laughs> exactly. People know that it's like, oh, you work for a church, you will buy the things that you need to buy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even the entry level stuff. I've been to churches that aren't a small church, quote quote. And I know a lot of pro audio people. They hate Behringer. We actually mix on a Behringer board. That's why our podcast is, you know. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, Behringer's been all bought out in China. They produce all their stuff in China, mass produce, and it's provided pro audio equipment that isn't at a, at a high end quality for a lower cost. Mm -hmm. I know churches that are much smaller now, they need to play every single Sunday and they've switched from analog boards to these Behringer boards. The X32 is a top seller. Yeah. That mixing console is like 1200 bucks, I think, for the X32. And it's like even the smallest churches are using a $1,200 mixer. Yeah. So you walk in and you're like, 
I work for a church. They're like, I could serve you a $1,200 mixer today. <laughs> and that's <laughs> the lowest end. You don't want to get anything else than that. Right. Um, so it even goes up from there. Right. That is just the mixing console. Like most people don't realize that like the money that goes into putting on a live show is insanity. Oh, yeah. Like I, gen- I genuinely huge. think people don't realize how much money goes into this stuff. If the base level mixer, like the, this is like the industry budget. Like you are the industry hobo if you buy the X32, right? If that is your mixing console, 1200 bucks. You haven't bought speakers. You haven't bought cables. You haven't bought anything to plug your instruments into unless you're going direct. And even if you're going direct to the board, the board's in the back of the room. So you need to buy a hundred foot cables to go to the front of the stage, if that, right? It's like, dude, you need new power. You need like there's so much, and you need you need the the monitor speakers in the front, obviously. I like I come from a, a uh, you need lights. Yeah, well, you don't. Mm, you kind of need lights. It depends. I right? think I'm thinking like furthest low budget, right? Uh, For me, I, I like I come from a background where it's a that's a pop up campus, so that means we build a stage and put it together every week mm-hmm. so the minimal amount of stuff the minimal amount of setup is the objective for us and and still like gear is expensive yeah. stuff is expensive yeah and the tech guys that work at the church that i work at they basically say the more you can spend the better because that's just going to guarantee you're going to have less problems on the setup yeah mm-hmm. and it's, tr- it's probably true <laughs> So, I mean, that's my theory, basically, is that the church industry, whether you hate them or like them, they have basically pushed the pro audio industry and the live setting to develop new technologies, to push um, basically live performance to the next level of reliability. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, And it's weird because you don't. You think back to some of these old concerts and it's like, they didn't, I don't think they had any of that stuff. No, of course not. You know, <laughs> they didn't, how did they, how did they do it? Yeah. Right. Like, have you seen that movie, uh, a star is born, right? He would like one of the plot points in that movie is that he doesn't want to use monitors, near yeah, monitors. Yeah. And people probably didn't understand that. And they, basically the throwaway line is you're going to lose your hearing son. Right, other you gotta wear these things, and like musicians hate that, dude. But it's like that sort of um, that sort of tech has been really pushed by like the church industry because of the way that tracks are used and things like that in church stuff. And I just, it's like a clash of live concert performance ideals. Right there's the analog old someone like Mac DeMarco, who I'm sure plays with the highest end gear now. But his whole thing is like I record an album on a crappy analog mixer with old equipment because this is all you need. This is what I learned. You sit down, you do it. This is all you need, right? And then you have the new age, uh, cutting edge audio technology where it's like you need the best equipment. You need to spend as much as you can. You need the like. Where's the balance in all of that? I have no idea. It's been something I'm exploring because of the situation I'm in and what I manage. But it's like, I think, I think what, what I'm trying to get at is you have these old school guys that rocked huge stages with garbage yeah, and they put on a great show. Yeah. And then you have a cutting edge 
the push for reliability and better equipment, quote, quote, all at the cost of a dollar, right? And then these ideas clash amongst musicians constantly. And I see it all the time. I know we're getting into almost a different subject now, but it's like I have these old rock band guys. Just the other weekend, dude, there was at that party that I wanted you to come help me out at, um, there was a drummer that was playing with one of the musicians and, and one of the musicians was using tracks and the drummer straight up was like, I don't play with tracks because I'm a real musician. <laughs> and the other musicians, like the other musicians younger and they're just like, what the heck? Like they got super mad and yeah. it was just like this instant divide. Both of them not being understanding at all. You know, <laughs> that's the thing about musicians. They're all kind of prideful. Um, Definitely. But it was just like, it was like that, that change, right? There was, it was like that, uh, that moment of like old versus new, mm, right? Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's just a random tangent, but keep, keep going on your, on your list. Cause I want to, I want to concerts I've seen. Yeah. I think that's it, dude. And you saw Coldplay and you saw Bonnie Bear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't, I haven't seen a ton. Um, I would encourage you to go more. We it costs so much money. I, dude. I know it does. I know it does. There's literally it's fun though. For me, artists that I want to see, like I love Blink One Eighty Two, but I hear they're terrible live. <laughs> and I love Tommy Long, but I hear he's horrible. I really want to see his band Angels and Airwaves. They just did a tour. I missed the dates. They sold out instantly. Um, they had to upgrade it. They they were playing somewhere in San Francisco, and then they ran out of tickets, so they upgraded to Warfield, and they sold out right away after mm-hmm. that. And so I was like, I want to go see. Tom DeLong because I listened to so much of his music and I like him, but he's treacherous live, you know? And so I'm just like, I can't get myself to spend money on that. Yeah, you know, yeah, I can't yeah. get myself to go out and see someone that is going to suck, you know? Sure. It's yeah. going to suck. Live. I get that. I enjoy I his that. records, but it's like, you know, I, I don't know who I'm going to see next. I really don't have anyone on my list. Mm. Um, well, let me, let me read you my list. Okay. Of, let's see of who, people who that I've seen? been to. Who you seen? So I went, I went and saw Kings of Leon. That was great. I'd like to see them. Um, switch, we talked about Switchfoot and yeah, Reliant yeah. K. I actually saw them before we saw them, Reliant K, mm-hmm. um, at a tiny little venue in San Francisco um, called oh, DNA Lounge. Um, it's a tiny little place, and we were right up in the front, and it was awesome. Um, uh, I saw Radiohead, um, like we were talking about, um, I saw Metallica and The Who back-to-back, so two nights in a row. Um, Metallica was absolutely incredible. They were so good. They had, like, the fireworks, the the light show, the everything. The Who was awesome as well. Like, they, for old men, they really, like, rocked it. Yeah. Like, it, it was surprising how much they rocked it. And this was what I was going to say is, so festivals are really difficult in a lot of ways i think for the smaller bands mostly because the venues that they give to the smaller bands are not very good right like they're in my experience like the not not even close to the big stage but when you're um when you're close and the stage is like huge right and you're like sitting right there and all of the music is like coming towards you there's like something transcendent about it that is so different from when you're sitting in a stadium you know Mm -hmm. when you're sitting you know pretty far away from the from the band 
you know, you kind of get the echo of because it's bouncing off all the all the walls of the stadium. There's something so like there's it's just like it like washes over you when you're like standing right in front and like standing right down there in the festival. The hard thing is a it's extremely expensive. B um you can't leave <laughs> when you're when you're standing there, right? You have to get your spot early and and mm-hmm. stay there. Um you have to stand up for all like 2 hours of the of the show. Yes, um, dude, I just can't take it. But the but it's worth it. It's worth it. There's there's something there's something that you need to experience at least once. I'm sure. You, you need I to. just there's a part of me that's like I can't and will not stand there for that long. I it just just don't knock it yet. Go go and do it and then and then you'll you bring comfortable shoes. Just just I would say I would say you should do it once. Okay. okay. Um then uh I saw Cage the Elephant twice. They were really good. I liked it. Um they put on a really interesting show where it's like um a little bit like like they're much more physical than than they are like lights and you know fireworks and whatnot. Yeah. But he's he he's like such a showman. He like runs around and like um d- jumps and dances and like he's he's really good. Um I saw Pearl Jam and Soundgarden on the same night. That was nuts. Um <laughs> it was at it was at the Bridge Benefit concert um in Mountain View. They do it at at um uh what's it called? Um you know that what's that venue? Shoreline Amphitheater. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So they, and it was, it's an only acoustic set. Um, so I, and I saw, and Neil Young was playing that night too, cause he puts it on every year. But, um, yeah, they did, they did only acoustic songs and then they did a duet together and that was awesome. So, so awesome. Um, I've seen Mumford and Sons twice now and they put on a really interesting show. I love what they do with their, 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 what we're talking about with the, the visuals and the the light experience and the the sound. I mean, their sound design is probably one of the best yeah. that I've seen. Like seriously, they 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 kill it every time. And even like they'll uh, the first time I saw them, it was in um, Napa at the what's that concert? Um, uh, Bottle Rock. I saw them at Bottle Rock, and before we saw. Um, a little band called, um, oh man, I, I can't remember. Um, they're, they're kind of a small Australian band, uh, but they actually opened for, for Mumford and Sons this next time that I saw them. And both of those times, like they're good. They're, they have cool songs. I like them. He's a good showman too, but their sound design is just so weak compared to Mumford and Sons. Like Who? it's, um, I can't remember their name. Let me look it up. Cause I want to, I want to get this. Um, sorry. I don't want to, no, you're I don't fine. Crap you, on do the... you know about the, uh, wait, you said they opened for him. Mm-hmm. Well, so here's the thing, Cameron openers get gypped. I don't know if you know this. Of course they do. There's a different setting for openers. They're turned yeah. down a little bit more. They're not mixed as good. And that's actually for a reason. Well, so they opened for them this time. Right. Um, but the the time before I saw them and they were doing their own concert. It was in oh, it just wasn't as good. Um, it was it was in the festival for sure. Um, and it just 
didn't sound as good. Yeah. Um, and again, that's what I was talking about is they were in a smaller venue than, or they were in the smaller stage mm-hmm. than Mumford and Sons. But still, it was like, um, I don't know. It just, it didn't, it didn't do it for me um, in a lot of ways, even though they were good and I enjoyed them. Um, it just wasn't, just wasn't as good. Yeah. You know? For sure. Um, hold on. Let me see. You, you're going to freak out about it? I'm going to I'm gonna find them. Cameron, our, our episode is wrapping up here as, yeah. as you're talking about these. Um, I know we said we were going to talk about the largest concerts, so I want to read off a few. Uh, actually, the largest single artist concert ever attended, and this is paid tickets, was Queen in January 12th of 1985. This is in Rio, and it was on their works tour. 250,000 people attended this concert. That's insane. You look at pictures, it's crazy. The uh, the next um, one's following is uh, Viscal Rossi. He's Italian. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Sorry. Probably um, not. 225. Uh, Glay, which is an a 80s Japanese rock band, which looks cool. Uh, 1980 or something like that. Um, Paul McCartney is next, and he's at 200,000. Tina Turner, Frank Sinatra. Those make sense. Wow. A little bit lower. Uh, Bruce Springsteen at 160,000. U2 at 150. Queen again. Uh, Madonna, Rolling Stones. Michael Jackson has two, both at 125,000. That's a lot of people, Michael Jackson. Yeah. So actually, okay. So what I was going to say is, um, well, first of all, I found them. They're Gang of Youths. Oh, um, yeah. I like them. Yeah, they're good. But yeah. but the mix just wasn't wasn't up to, to they were fine. But they were just not so nowhere sad. near. So sad when the mix is nowhere near Mumford and Sons. But um, when I was, I saw the Rolling Stones at Levi's Stadium, um, and I was looking up their their biggest concerts. And you were saying that that I think that one was in Rio. Yeah. Um, that one that was on the top ten list or whatever. Right. Um, and that's where I was seeing how they do those huge concert, uh, like huge venues. They have to delay the the sound so that it 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 matches with with each speaker so that right. it's like it's like this the speed of sound that you're getting from like the stage the and front up front stage, yeah. is like matched with all of the speakers behind it because um, there's speakers on nuts. poles um, basically all the way out across the massive concerts or the audience space right? and if you imagine they if they if they weren't delaying it then it would just be like a, a terrible wash of yeah, like da, 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 awful, da, 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 awful da, 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 sound right. yeah um yeah okay so then um yeah so the rolling stones were amazing by the way absolutely amazing what did I, I say rolling stones was on this list yeah yeah okay um what's what shocked me is that oasis is on this list i know yeah they had this uh tour called what's the story morning glory tour um and that's in 1996 so right at the at the point of their breakthrough mm. 125,000 people on two nights so each night they got that many people wow um which is wow. which is nuts um <laughs> yeah wow that is oh, wait 120 per each night Yep. Where was this? Uh, let's see. It is in uh, English, England. It's at the um, Keb, Kenberth, Kebworth House. Mm. Um, that's the venue. Wow. 
That's and that is in Stephen Age. Imagine, think about that though. Like I know we were talking about the 250 concert per night or whatever, but that was in like that was in Rio de Janeiro. You know, I don't know how much they're they're paying for those <laughs> concerts, but like two concerts in a row, two nights, 120,000 people there. Like most concerts, you know, you pay. Um, you know what, like 150 plus, and then you know it. It depends. It goes goes up and down. But um, how much do you think they're paying for that concert? How much do you think people were paying for that? Probably concert? not that much. But uh, d- multiplied by 120 thousand people. So even if it's like 50 bucks. No, but the, it, like that's in 1996. 25 bucks. Yeah, 25 bucks. Still a lot of money. That's a ton of money. Yeah. That's a ton of money. But also that venue probably got the crap beaten out of it. Think oh, about yeah, it. I'm sure. You know? Um, there's actually a separate list on Wikipedia for free concerts that we thought you'd want to know about. Um, Ron Stewart in... Rod, Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. Sorry. Rod Stewart. Uh, 1994, on December 31st, he had a New Year's Eve concert in Rio. Three million... <laughs> 500,000 people went to this concert. That's <laughs> insane. I mean, it's free, right? But like, yikes, dude. Uh, secondly, Gene Michael Yar, Jar or something. I don't know who this is. A French composer um, known for his electronic music. Had two free concerts, one in 97, one in 90. Um, one was in Moscow, uh, which is kind of cool. He also had 3.5 million. Wow. There's a famous one that, uh, who's the singer of Metallica? What's his name? Mm. Uh, James Hartfi- Hartfield? James Hetfield. Yeah. Hetfield. Yeah. James Hetfield um, was on the Joe Rogan Experience. Talked about this 1991 concert at uh, an airfield in Moscow. It's with the Monsters of Rock event. They had 1,600,000 people there. And there's video footage of this concert. He talks about it on the Joe Rogan experience. It's nuts, dude. It's nuts. It was a free concert and it was like all these Soviets, like just being like, we love rock and roll and the freedom of this. X Soviets. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and basically like, it's, it's so unique. You should hear him talk about that. Um, that's just a crazy amount of people. Oh yeah, man. Rolling Stones did a free concert as well. They had a uh, 1.5 million there. That's so crazy. Yeah. Imagine seeing that many people. That's, that's more than the city of San Francisco. Yeah. I, I think, you know, what's interesting is when I play live stuff, you start to stop. It's really hard to kind of notice the individual people, even in a small, like you have to be in a pretty small room. I play yeah. in front of a small amount of people. And even at that point, the room's dark. And so I, you know, the lights are much brighter than the people. Yeah. So they pretty much blind you to seeing anyone. And so you're just there to kind of do your thing. And at that point in front of that many people, sure, you'd be nervous. But if you've been playing a long time, you're also like, I literally can't see anyone. I feel like I'm on, he probably, they probably felt like they're on a different planet, Mm. you know, Mm. to think that there are that many individuals in that crowd. Oh yeah. All sucking up the oxygen. (laughs) And you're just like, I don't, like that's probably a panic in itself because it's such a visual distortion for you, you know, but 
Anything um, else you want to add on concerts, camera? We're wrapping up. We got a post. We're, we got a show to record for yeah, the Patreons. Yeah. I want to say there are two that I didn't mention. I went to Hoser, which was pretty good. Oh yeah. And then I went to Hans Zimmer, who's the Ooh. composer. That was awesome. It was so good. Oh, I, if I had more time to talk about that, I would. It was it was excellent. I want to know your bucket list, but I'm gonna list mine off really quick. Go ahead. I think I pretty much said it already. So if I if Led Zeppelin, if they die before they 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 have a concert and I get to and I get to see them, I will be really upset. Um, I would spend an inordinate amount of money to go see Led Zeppelin. Um, I, I don't know how much tickets would be insane. I don't know how much money, but it would be a lot. Um, Epica, I think they would put on a raucous show. Just absolutely incredible. They're like symphonic metal. They do like a 30 piece orchestra with their with their band. Oh man. I bet that would be awesome. They don't really tour in America that much though. Um Megadeth. I've had the opportunity to go see them. We should they've go been see in them. San Jose. I'd like to see them. I'd love to see them, but I I I haven't yet. I think seeing Megadeth would be fun. I would love to see Radiohead. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, yeah. that'd be a great band. I already saw um Coldplay, but I always wished I saw them in a better way. Mm -hmm. I was sad that mm -hmm. that experience wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, but let me think. I'd Most, love to see Pink Floyd. There's a lot of small bands I think I would enjoy mm. seeing. Yeah. Little trash venues, something more intimate. Um, let me see. Who do I who do I have on on my Spotify playlist that I really like? And what about? I'd love to see Tame Impala. I think that would be sweet. Do you know who they are? Yeah. I really like Tim Impala. Eh, um, all right. I think it'd be cool to see him. Let me see. Kanye West. People say 21 Pilots is good live. I watched a um, video of them performing. Eh, I don't know. I don't want to see Kanye West live. He's going to walk out. I probably pay too much for that. No, but he he didn't. Only yeah, that one time. <laughs> only that one he time did that for the show that was in no, our no, area. No, no, right? no. He apparently he didn't. Apparently he went on a rant. This is what I've heard from someone who's there. Apparently, he went on a rant, and then everybody left, and then he continued the concert, and he finished it. Wow. Like, just like normal. That's weird. Still weird. Um, I think he'd be good to see. Yeah. Yeah. He probably would. Let's I don't see. know why I keep wanting to say this, but I have a feeling I'd really not enjoy if I went and saw them. I, <laughs> I just want to say I want to see Tool. But I just hmm. feel like that would be a really scary experience for me. <laughs> I just, I don't know why. I was like, I think I, it'd just be too much for me to handle. Yeah. People yeah. trying to punch each other and stuff. No. Of course, I want to see Blink-182, but I don't like the new singer. Did Let's I tell that. you, did I ever share this on the show when I saw Metallica and, and the, the weakest mosh pit opened up in front of me? <laughs> <laughs> this is where we'll end the show. Uh, but... There's a bunch of tech bros who tried to mosh, and then there was one guy who actually could, and he just flattened a bunch of people. And it was like I don't understand can, mosh pits. Can you at imagine? All. Can you imagine the uh, the just like the techiest of tech? Can bros you imagine if this podcast actually mosh actually became something very very big, and Cameron and I are at. Uh, RTX or something like that, and we hold a panel and a freaking mosh pit. Oh starts. yeah, that'd be amazing. At the middle of our pot, we're just talking, and people start beating the crap out of each other like we're talking <laughs> his music, and 
Someone's going to accuse us for demonic possession or something like Someone, that. Someone's going to say we did something really offensive or something, which we probably did. You probably will say something offensive that makes someone stand up and then a mosh pit. And then a mosh That's pit, actually yeah. called a riot, Cameron. And it's I, usually with whatever. political intentions. Whatever. So, I mean, you know, you can did go on it, apparently, forever. Apparently, I think Megadeth started a riot where a bunch of churches got burned down in the 90s. And, they, and then they said, oh, sorry. <laughs> Now the Megadeth singer's a Christian. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's too funny. All right, that's enough talking about rock and roll and concerts, Cameron. Um, you're wearing your Rolling Stone shirt. That's, I am. That's dope. Right Very now. fitting. You didn't even know we were talking about this. No, today. I didn't. Great topic. Great, Great topic. chatting. We're going to record a post show that's even more lazy than this. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, we will see you guys next week on Monday. Enjoy the post show if you're a Patreon. And if you're not a Patreon, consider supporting. Thank you very much. Everything Comes From Something is currently 100% fan funded by listeners like you. And we wanted to shout out our executive producers, Darren O'Neill and Eric and Ariel Walk. Thank you guys for supporting the show at the highest level. If you want to support Everything Comes From Something, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ECFS podcast, where you can give a couple bucks our way and get access to our exclusive monthly podcast that is released at the end of the month on the platform through an RSS feed. If you don't have a few dollars, Again, tell a friend, tell some family about the podcast. That is how a show like this grows, and you can give us a rating on iTunes. We appreciate you guys so much, and we will see you next week.